Okay, we're going to be jumping into a scripture from Mark chapter 7. This is the 25th week of our sermon series in the book of Mark. I'm going to read this scripture, and then we're going to go back and kind of um, rehash the things that we talked about last week a little bit. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, it says, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's begin with a word of prayer this evening. God, we ask that you would open our ears and our minds and our hearts to the things that you have for us. We find ourselves here again in odd territory. Help us to make sense of your word. Help us to understand your son better than we did before we were here. Help us to leave here challenged and changed and passionate about following you. God, we ask that the words that come out of my mouth would be yours, that if I'm getting in the way that you would just remove me and allow uh, your spirit to take complete ownership of this space. God, we are thankful for songs that we can sing and prayers that we can pray and confessions and being assured that we are forgiven through the sacrifice and the resurrection of your son, Jesus. Help us to live empowered by that and encouraged by that each and every day. We ask these things all in your son's name. Amen. So just by way of review, last week we were looking at a very strange text in the book of Mark, chapter 7, and the way that N.T. Wright describes this is, he says, one of the difficulties with Mark 7 is that unless you're inside the Jewish world, you won't get the point. This is a good rule of thumb for just reading the Bible in general and trying to understand the audience and the cultural context, the politics, the socioeconomic stuff, the things that were going on in the day to understand what Jesus is actually addressing. It's not quite as easy as just opening up your Bible and then taking life application from it. It's important that we dip back into the first century culture to understand who Jesus was and what he was actually doing, and N.T. Wright is kind of framing that discussion for us. The text that we looked at last week seems like it had to do with the washing of hands. The Pharisees and some of the scribes had actually come up from Jerusalem to this western region of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus was. Some people say anywhere from 50 to 70 miles they make this trip to see what Jesus is all about. And what they do is they catch his disciples eating food with unwashed hands. And they try to trap Jesus in this moment of what in the world's going on? Why are you allowing your followers to eat bread without washing their hands? It seems like it's a text about just being clean. But underneath of that, as we saw last week, this is actually a text about ritual purification. This is the rules and regulations by which the Jews at the time lived their life. 
There were certain things that you couldn't eat. There were certain things that you couldn't touch. There were certain things that you couldn't wear. There were certain times of the month or experiences that people would have that would render them to be unclean and they would have to remove themselves from the community until they go through this process of ritual purification. It was as if the Pharisees were drawing a line and expecting all of the Jews to stay on this side of the line. There's certain things that we have to do to be good Jews at this time. There's certain things that we have to do to be following God in a way that makes him pleased with us. There's all these rules and regulations and they're trying to bust Jesus on this minute detail where his disciples are eating bread without first ritually purifying themselves. Jesus responds to this whole thing by saying, listen to me, everyone, and understand this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. What Jesus is doing here is saying it's not the act of breaking bread and eating it without washing hands that makes someone impure or unclean or defiled. It's the sinful things that are from within that expose themselves, the evil thoughts that we have, the sexual immorality, the lewdness, all these, this list of things that Jesus says, that's what demonstrates people to be impure or defiled. It's not just these rules and these regulations. And in a sense, what Jesus does in this moment is he takes that line of identity and pushes it saying it's not the way that it used to be. When Jesus showed up, he was completely radical in his time by doing things differently. When he showed up, his announcement was the kingdom of God is here, it's present, it's invading, and it's happening through me and my work and what's about to take place. The old stuff, the old way, can't contain it. So he has all these little analogies about what he's doing and how different it is in the religious establishment the people that had gone to church their whole life, if you will, the people that had worn the right clothes and done the right things and said the right things and had the right face when they interact with people, what Jesus is doing is saying something different is taking place and that line of identity is pushed. Specifically, what Mark said last week was Jesus was declaring all foods to be clean. This was a huge thing for the Jewish people at this time because they had lived their whole life observing these rules and regulations and the undertone is it's all changing, it's all different because of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. This whole text in Mark 7, 1 through 23 leads right into the text that we're gonna talk about this evening. I just have a couple quotes that I wanna read to you from some scholars. The first one is from Joel Marcus. He says, the progression from 7, 1 through 23, that story about the washing of hands and ritual purity, to 7, 24 through 30, the text that we're gonna be looking at this evening, he says it's a logical progression. Having challenged not only Pharisaic purity regulations, but also the Old Testament dietary laws that separated Jews socially from Gentiles. The Markan Jesus, meaning Mark's picture of Jesus, is now positioned to respond favorably to a Gentile woman's plea for the healing of her demon-possessed daughter. This is something that did not happen. A, Jesus, as we'll see, being in this territory and talking with a woman and talking with a Gentile woman and talking to a woman that had a daughter who was impure or unclean. This whole discussion about food and about bread and about washing hands and the pushing of that line leads us to this place where Jesus is doing something completely radical. And I wanna to try to bring that out for us this evening. Another scholar, Larry Hurtado says, in the present passage, the relevance for the early church 
of all that has been stated by Jesus in Mark 7 becomes even more transparently clear if the logical effect of Jesus' teaching is to legitimize those who do not follow Pharisaic ritual customs, such as the Gentile believers, this incident gives an actual precedent for addressing Gentiles and their inclusion in the circle of those to whom the benefits of the kingdom of God can come. I got about three words into that and realized, man, this is gonna be really hard to unpack. I think there was a lot of glazed overlooks behind me as we started talking about Pharisaic regulations and all those sorts of things. What's happening here is this story about breaking bread and eating with unwashed hands is completely and utterly changing the game. This story, as other scholars say, it's, it's a political incident where Jesus is, is interacting with this woman in a really weird way. It's a political incident, it's a dangerous event, but what I want to try to get us to see this evening is this is our story. This woman who had no business being a part of Jesus' ministry, that had to fight her way in, in a sense, represents us. This groundbreaking move of Jesus to say that line that has been pushed now might even allow the people on the outskirts and the margins and the people that have been oppressed, they can become a part of this. They can sit at the table and eat with me. They can become a part of this kingdom movement. This is our story because if you're just reading through the Old Testament and you hear the echoes of Israel and God's people and you see Jesus, even in this text, it's not a story that's about us yet. But Jesus begins to crack the door open so that we can become a part of this. Jesus moves the line even further in this story and this has huge implications for us this evening. Jesus, as I mentioned, he's in non-Jewish territory. For the map freaks in the room, here's a good one for you. It's actually from the 40s, so it's old and it's not totally accurate, but it's very colorful and nice, so I like it. Jesus and his disciples had been in this western region of the Sea of Galilee, uh, in the northwest region here, and they're going to travel to a Gentile area in the region of Tyre. Some scholars would say that Jesus didn't spend a lot of time in the cities, but he was in the region of this place. Now, this is important for us to know because the, the Tyrians, if you will, which makes me think of Game of Thrones, but don't tell anybody. Um, Josephus, who's a first century Jewish historian, says of this people group where, where Jesus is now located, says that they are notoriously our bitterest enemies. This is Jesus going into enemy territory. Some people have tried to, to say that the reason why they hate each other so much, you're gonna kick out of this, is because the, the agricultural produce of the northwestern Galilean region was being transported to Tyre and the people of Galilee didn't get to eat their own food and it was all going even farther northwest. For people in the ancient world, though, that's a big deal when your food goes somewhere else, but here there's this bad blood and yes, you're allowed to think of Taylor Swift immediately as those words come out of my mouth. There's this bad blood between the Galileans, the Jews of that time, and these non-Jews living in this territory here, okay? Um, so first, Jesus is in this strange place. And again, as we've seen for week after week after week, Jesus is trying to get a break. He keeps saying that he's retreating and he's trying to like be alone and he's trying to get in a space where no one will bother him. 
and he can't do it because his fame and his name is gaining such a reputation, okay? So he's in a weird spot in the world, and he's in a weird spot of the world that may have some political and socioeconomic and some tensions between the people from whence he came and the Tyrians. Jesus is also speaking with a woman, and not only that, because that's weird enough, rabbis don't speak with women. I'm sorry, ladies, this was a patriarchal culture in this time, and men were doing things that some women were not afforded the rights to do yet. There are some beautiful echoes, though, when we turn the book into Galatians and we see that through Christ there is neither male nor female, slave nor free, and the boundaries through Christ are being completely demolished. But at this time, it was weird for a rabbi to be speaking with a woman. It was scandalous. It was dangerous. It was illicit. It was something that didn't necessarily happen. And the fact that she was foreign upped the ante. And as I mentioned, the fact that she was pleading on behalf of her unclean daughter upped the ante even more. This is like a three-time offense where Jesus is talking to this woman that he had no business talking to. R.T. France says, few of those who approached Jesus had so much against them as this woman did. She was female, she was foreign, and she had a daughter who was ritually impure and unclean and not anywhere in the scope of what a normal Jewish teacher would engage with at this time. But we learned in this story that as soon as she heard about him, which is weird, because remember that map, we're pretty far away from, from where Jesus' ministry is taking place. And this is pre-cell phone, pre-Twitter, pre-Snapchat, pre-Instagram, pre-whatever is cool at the moment that I don't know because I'm a little bit older than some of you. Like this is before any of that was happening. This word of mouth that this crazy rabbi who was teaching and preaching and healing and doing things different and including people that shouldn't have been included. It was getting out, and when this woman heard that he was there, this woman whose daughter was possessed with an impure spirit says she came and she fell at his feet. She hears about Jesus, and then she goes, perhaps spending money to go on this trip, perhaps just forsaking, she's at least leaving her daughter at home because she's now in the presence of Jesus to get something for her kid. This is my son. Many of you know him, many of you love him. He's really cute. I just wanna point out a couple things in this picture. Number one, this T-shirt is a, is a dog with a snorkel mask on, and that's funny to me. No? Okay. Um, he's also got a tattoo here. I have a confession to make. Kate and I watch a lot of TV. You know this about us. I talk about this quite, quite often. Abram's like one and a half years old, getting closer to two, maybe, 20 months, whatever. Um, I love my son, okay? <laughs> but now he's starting to string some words together, and the other day he got up at 5.30 a.m., and Kate said to me, you need to go get him. So I said, okay. So I go up there, and, and Abe's just in bed, and he says, cooking show? Tattoo show? He's up at 5.30, he just wants to watch TV because he watches all kinds of cooking shows and tattoo shows with mom and dad, so it's 5.30, and the dad move is, okay, sure. So we go downstairs, and my plan is, I'm just gonna plop him on the couch and lay down next to him and fall asleep, and Kate comes out and says, what in the world are you doing? He cannot watch tattoo shows at 5.30 a.m. He can watch them later in the day, I guess, but he's, he's really growing an affinity for body art, which is interesting. 
But this is Abe, and sometimes I'm just struck at how awesome it is to be privileged to be his dad. Kate one time said to me, um, you're the only one he's got. And something like hit me with that. Um, I would do anything that I could do to protect him. I would do anything that I could do to keep him safe. I would do anything in the realm of possibility to protect him and to love him and to make him feel cherished and guarded and safe. Imagine you're this mom for a second, and I don't want to over-psychoanalyze the text, but you're this mom of this, this young girl that is possessed by a demon. Whatever that means and however that's manifested at this time, she's not safe, she's not healthy, she's not well, and she's forsaking everything to do whatever she can to help her. The text continues. She doesn't just go and fall down at Jesus' feet. It says she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now, when I was growing up, this picture hung in the, the foyer of our church. And I would always walk in, and this was like part of the understanding of Jesus that I had is when somebody shows up and they beg him to do something, of course, he's going to do it. I had this very um, safe image of Jesus. I had this very clean white, white guy in a bath sheet with a purple sash over the shoulder that we saw every Easter right up there. It's like, oh, I know that guy. He's, he's pretty cool. And Jesus, the picture that was described to me in Sunday school was, if you pray, he answers. If you ask, he'll show up. These things, it was kind of like a one-to-one -one correspondence. So when you're reading along this text, and you see this woman who's forsaking everything and traveling to where Jesus is and begging him to do something. You're going to expect certain things from Jesus probably if you've spent any time around church. Jesus' response, though, I don't know if you caught it when we were first reading this, is, First, let the children eat all they want, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Not the image of Jesus that we were taught in Sunday school. Not the nice picture that we see when we go in and say, oh yes, he's knocking on the door of my heart and he just wants to come in and he'll, like, he'll meet my needs. And all. In this story, what we see is this woman who's at her wit's end saying, help. I know you can, I know you have the power to do it, we've heard about it, help. First, let the children eat all the bread that they want to, for it is not right to give the children the bread and then give it to the dogs. All I know is there's something about dogs there at the end of it, and what this woman is probably hearing is Jesus associating her with dogs. At this time also, this wasn't super like domesticated, cool dogs like mine, Porter, which Kate knows is a stretch for me to say in public that he's a cool dog, but he's, he's all right. Um, but at this time, it wasn't like you have had, had these pets for dogs. This was, a, this was a slap in the face almost to have this sort of commentary of, I don't want to give the good stuff to you, the dogs. So some people have tried to figure out what to do with this. And this is what scholars get paid to do. They get paid to sit in rooms and make up stuff to try to figure out what the heck's going on to make Jesus into the person that we all think that he is. So some people have said things like, oh, well, Jesus wasn't talking to her. He was just talking to himself. She didn't hear this, of course, because Jesus can't be rude like that. Other people have said, well, Jesus' facial expressions or the tone of his voice demonstrated that this wasn't the final word. 
which is interesting, right? Because when you read the Bible, you don't put tone of voice into the mix. You just read it and you infer what the tone is. So you could have Jesus saying, first, let the kids eat because it's not right to give it to the dogs. Hey. Hey. <laughs> I don't even know what face that would be to make that cool for her in this moment, but some people are saying, it's, it's, he's like, hey. Or this was just playful banter. This is my main man, N.T. Wright, as well, and this is weird for me to challenge the good bishop, but here he's saying this is just playful banter, and, and one of the things that people do is saying in the Greek, the word for dog is what's called a diminutive, which means it's not a big dog, it's a small dog, or maybe the smallest dog. It's like a puppy. So don't give the kids bread to the puppies. Look how cute they are and snuggly. You know, it's like, this is just playful, Jesus playful. One guy even says that Jesus said this and then winked. And again, this is what scholars do. They just kind of read the text and then they just, well, I, I bet he winked here just to tip people off. These are paid professionals, okay? This guy's been out of the game for a little bit, but it would look something similar like, like hey, all right, give that bread to the dogs. Oh, all right. But what do you do with Jesus' tone in this story? What do you do with how he responds? It's like she's left everything to go and to be in this place, begging, pleading. The best I can do for the folks that don't have kids is just this little image of a sweet little boy that you just want to hug. And that's, that's yours. That's entrusted to you. And they're in danger. And Jesus says something really really weird, really esoteric and ethereal, like first let the, let the children eat all the bread they want because I don't want to give the good stuff to the dogs yet. She responds to this. And I guess there is a little bit of truth to his facial expression because she doesn't take that as the final word. She keeps going and she keeps pushing. And she says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She's taking on that identity of the dog and saying, but even the dogs get a little bit of what's at the table. Even the lowest of the low, Jesus. I'm pleading with you, even me and my kid can get just a scrap to get by. And again, we're left with this question of what's her tone here? What's her response? Some of the feminists that read this text are like, she's angry, admittedly angry. And they're saying that in this moment, she is one-upping Jesus. He's throwing out this argument, and then she's saying, yeah, but here's something else to think of. And then he relents. The way that the story concludes is, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So it does seem that in this moment, the, the woman has presented a, a case. And there's some rabbinical writings, meaning the, the smart Jewish leaders of the time. One guy was saying, I've only been bettered by a few people, a woman, a little boy, and a little girl. So there's this tradition of rabbis engaging with these people that they really had no business engaging with, and the woman, or the little kid, or the people that just seem desperate, coming back with this retort to say, you're not getting off that easy, Jesus. Yeah, you can feed the kids all you want, but give me the scraps. Give me what's left of it. And Jesus sees this and says, for such a reply, you may go. Your daughter 
has been healed. It's not a typical story where a sick person shows up and Jesus says, you're healed. This is a weird interchange with Jesus and this woman. And there's a few things that I think that we can learn from this story. And I hope that I'm not um, taking us too far out of this first century context, but there's a, a handful of them. I don't have a lot of commentary to go with it, but I just want to pose some, some things for you to consider. First, in this story, and I would probably say in, in the Gospels, Jesus' actions are highly political and they're highly theological. The fact that he's interacting with this woman that he has no business to be interacting with is a big, bold move. It's a dangerous event. Why he's there and who he's talking to and what's going on and the fact that he relents and whatever you wanna do with that and the fact that he heals this, this girl who's not even there, mind you, is demonstrating something to be very true about the kingdom. This text must be understood in that context. It's not just pray real hard and Jesus will answer you. I think that that might be a point, but there's something bigger going on. The fact that he says first, let the kids eat all they want is basically putting Jesus in a moment in time. His mission is laser focused. His mission is to be this Messiah who would redeem God's people. And his idea, seemingly, is if I can accomplish that, then the floodgates will open and everyone will be invited in. At the end of the book of Mark, when Jesus is crucified, the Roman centurion looks up and says, surely this was the Son of God. The floodgates begin to open and we get to enter into the story and say, where's the scraps that we now get to pick up? This, this is a political and theological moment in this story. N.T. Wright again says, if we remake Jesus into the cozy image of a universal problem solver, we will miss the towering importance of his unique assignment. If all we get from this is, if you pray hard, Jesus will answer you, then we diminish what Jesus is actually doing in this moment. He's moving the line, and he's inviting us in to the story. Second thing that we can learn is what we believe about Jesus affects how we read stories about him. We all have this baggage, whether it's the picture in the foyer of the church you grew up in, or it's the church that burned you a year or two ago, or it's the person that you know that said, I'm a Christian, and they hurt you, or they abused you, or they were mean to you, or they gave you a bad picture of Christ. All of that affects how we read these stories. So when you come to it and you see Jesus saying, the dogs don't get the food, then you get ticked and you get defensive and you say, what the heck? The things that we have in our background are there and they impact how we view not only Jesus, but how we view the church, how we view the gospel, how we view this faith that people around you are buying into and you can't quite understand why. I wanna to submit to you that from this story, I don't want you just to hear an angry Jesus. I don't want you to hear like this guy who's screwing around and then winking. I want you to see a guy who has this focus on, I've got this job to do because at the end, this job will allow people of all shapes and sizes and colors and whatever, like everyone to gain, not just the scraps, but the bread and the wine, and the richness of the kingdom. 
We can also learn that this gospel is not just about us. When we reduce it to Jesus died for your sins and that's great, we say a prayer and I feel really good, we miss the cosmic scope of what Jesus is doing. He is redeeming all things. You and I are a part of that and that makes it awesome. And we get to participate in this project of restoration, if you will, along with him. But it's not just about you. It's not just you make this confession and you have this faith and then you say, great, glad I got that taken care of. Now I can get on to the other things that I'm doing. You are part of something much bigger than yourself. This Syrophoenician woman was part of something much bigger than herself and she's just the foretaste, the first fruits of all of us becoming a part of this family. When you can see beyond yourself, you begin to invite people in to the richness of this story of mercy and grace and forgiveness through Christ. Yes, we also notice that in this story, the woman sought Jesus. She left everything to go after him and she went after him hard. When was the last time you went after Jesus hard with everything that you have? I had this uh, message that I preached a while back about being diligent and being relentless and the image that I used was Steve Wojciechowski that really scrappy point guard from Duke like 15 years ago and he was this little, little white guy who was like 5'8 or so and he'd always come down the court and he'd like slap the court like this and be like, come on, what do you got? And sometimes he'd get burned because he wasn't that good but he was really scrappy. And sometimes when we think about our faith, it's, it's time for us to, to, to bear down and to be diligent and to be relentless and to go after it hard. She interceded on behalf of her kid and she didn't take no for an answer. I think there's something to be learned there. Sometimes we're convinced that the no that we get should be a yes and we're dead wrong. But sometimes, sometimes, I think the lesson is for us to put our shoulder down a little bit and get on that wall or get on that door and keep relentlessly and diligently pursuing Christ to do something. If you're in a situation where there's abuse or there's suffering, keep pursuing Christ to do something. If you're in a situation of brokenness and hopelessness, keep pursuing Christ to do something. If you're in the midst of disaster and hurt and pain, lower your shoulder and bust the door down and say, don't give up on me. Even the dogs get the crumbs. Give me the crumbs. There's things that we see in this story. I do think we're in a different moment where it's not just the crumbs that are available to us. It's the whole loaf. Christ wants not just to fix your issues, but he wants to become a part of who you are and to live through you and in you and in that fulfill this idea of redeeming all things. It's not just the stuff out there, it's our broken hearts and it's our messed up lives that Jesus wants to invade and to take over and to demonstrate the power of the kingdom in doing that. So I don't know where you are tonight. I don't know what is going on in your world. I don't know what you get from this really weird story about Jesus' interchange with a woman that he really shouldn't have been talking to. But what we see here in this moment is hope. 
hope of something more than what you might have right now. For the folks in the room that know and love Jesus and have trusted him with everything that you are, I hope that what you see here is there might be people around you that are at their wit's end and they're waiting for Jesus to do something and I think that he might be saying he wants to use you. Not everything is this miraculous moment where everything gets fixed and just swept under the rug. Sometimes we have to get our hands dirty in order for that mission to take place. I truly believe that through Christ, God is redeeming all things. But what's great about it is when we allow ourselves to be used, we become a part of that. And we can bring redemption to other people through Christ and through the power of his spirit.